Hello, welcome to another week of the Inbold Company podcast. I'm your host, Christina Gonzalez-Sander, and every week I host no BS conversations with other women of color, which drop every single Wednesday, hashtag Women of Color Wednesday. I actually don't know if that's a thing, but it should be. And we talk about everything from inner child healing to ancestral trauma to human design, dating yourself, hint, hint. That is kind of what we're going to talk about today. Well, not specifically dating yourself, but love in general. This episode is going to be all about love. I know, right? But as somebody who has always been super fascinated by relationships and the way we interact with each other, and someone that also watches way too many rom-coms and reads way too many romance novels, this topic is super interesting to me. I know that it is Valentine's Day this weekend and Valentine's Day if you're into these kinds of holidays. If you're not, I'm sorry. (laughs) But I'm pumped because our guest is the very wonderful Sophie Kwok, who is the founder and creator and obviously podcast host of Love Intently. It is a relationship podcast that empowers you to have a thriving relationship with yourself and everyone around you. So in this episode today, we're not just talking about romantic relationships. We're also going to talk about friendship. We're going to talk about attachment styles and conflict resolution. How in the world do you solve a conflict with your friends, with your partner, with your parents? Sophie's going to give us some tips and tricks and ways that you can practice being better at conflict resolution. But before we get to the episode, the one thing that I think you should do before you keep listening is head to Sophie's website so that you can figure out what your attachment style is and you can keep that in mind as you listen to the rest of the episode. So the link is in the show notes, but also you can go to loveintently.com and take that quiz so you know what your attachment style is, especially if you don't know what attachment styles are, period. You should do this. And then listen to this episode. So the last, I guess, quarter of business that I have is I would love your support. Please, please, please. You have my undying love and gratitude forever, for real. Leave a review on iTunes if you like this podcast. It would be super helpful. That means more people can see it, more people get eyes on it. And as a reward, we do a monthly giveaway. And if you listen all the way to the end of the episode, you will hear how you can win that giveaway. Cough, cough. It's by leaving a review. You'll automatically be entered to win. But let's just dive in. Thanks for coming on. I'm super excited. Well, let's start off with like, how are you this past year today? Either. Oh oh my gosh. I am doing, you know, like this past day and week, it's been busy, but it's been overall really good. We just got our puppy spades. That's been a whole adventure in itself and keeping us busy. But also beyond that, I've just been having really incredible conversations and connections virtually, of course, with people that I'm so grateful for. And it's been really fulfilling. This last year has been a roller coaster for sure. I'm an extrovert. I feel like this is the time that introverts really thrive. And luckily I don't live alone and that has helped, but it hasn't like been easy at all. And I so miss seeing people like you who maybe you're not in my immediate, like every day, every week we hang out circle, but like you're someone I for sure would have seen at least, at least a few times, like five or like always at an event. Exactly. Like we would have at least seen each other, you know, like eight times last year. And like to not see you at all is like unfathomable and same with some of my other friends. No, it's so crazy because like, you know, you have your, you have like your, your homies and your friends that you like, literally, I know we like, know we want to hang out outside of seeing each other at events, but you like, you're guaranteed to be like, oh, it's cool. Like, I'll just see, I'll see you at that thing that we're going to do like later on this week for XYZ person. Totally. Yeah, exactly. And that has been so hard because I have so many people in that realm for me that I get so much life out of 
that I just like am so missing their energy. And like, you're one of those people and there's over at least 20 people for me like that in Austin that it's like, we would see each other regularly just doing life in Austin. And now we're not able to, and that's been so hard, but I also at the same time, I'm really grateful for what 2020 has like revealed and brought up. So my long-winded answer is I'm overall doing pretty good, but this year has been a roller coaster. Good. No, I'm glad to hear though that you've been doing pretty good. You know, I know it's been like, I don't know, super kind of different for everybody, right? And I don't know. It's just been wild. It really has been. And that's like the one reason why I like love Austin so much and why I moved here though is like our community here is unreal, truly. Like everyone's just great. I love everybody. And I know who you're talking about when you're like saying like, you know, we have like the crew that's like out there doing stuff and in the community and that we like see and stuff. So I miss them. Shout out to all of them. They probably know who they are because I'm assuming if they listen to this, they know that we're talking about them. Totally. So for people that don't know you or have not listened to your podcast, who are you professionally? Who's, who's Sophie Kwok? Yeah. Professionally, I am a podcast host of Love Intently, where we empower people to have a thriving relationship with themselves and everyone around them. And then outside of that, I also am an UX or interaction designer, design researcher. I feel like all of those terms are kind of jumbled in one, but I have done things in each one of those specific areas. And yeah, that's like what I do professionally. It's what brings in the money and pays the bills. And as far as the Love Intently podcast goes, I think on a normal year, I would also be a facilitator and speaker and um, workshop host and educator around emotional intelligence and all things relationships. Love it. Okay. And so on the outside of work, and I find that I like love asking this question because sometimes people are like... (gasps) I don't, oh, you know, they get like, wait, what? Outside of work, but who are you like personally? Yeah, personally, I am someone who like just is a normal human that loves to do normal human things. I mean, I just love hanging out with friends and my puppy and I love going on outdoor adventures and walks and stuff. And like that has been a huge saving grace. Oh yes. So many walks. Yes. And I'm like just someone who wants to empower love in and empower people in whatever they're hoping for, dreaming for. And I really try to be a mirror for people in showing them how I see them. And I think that is one of the greatest gifts that I've ever received in friendship and in life. And something that I try really hard to give back to people, I think in the day-to-day interactions too, obviously I'm not perfect at this and it's been a lot harder, I think with the pandemic, I feel like it's harder to just allow yourself to connect with strangers. But I think even in those like mundane moments where it's like interacting with a stranger and even if it's for a few seconds, you never know how far moments of kindness can go. And so I think that's like a true value of mine. I love cooking and I love painting and I've just been trying to dive back deeper into my inner child creative. Yes. Yes. I love that. And like fostering that. And so those are some of the things that define me. I guess I'm also a daughter, a niece, two people, and a sister from another mister to others. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I think that's like, you know, it's funny that you say that part about like diving back into the things, you know, your inner child creativity, because I've seen that a lot from so many people. Like everyone's kind of picking up these hobbies that we all used to have when we were kids, you know, like, Oh, you know, you would like paint or draw or like sit outside and just like read a book or whatever. And with quarantine, I think people really had to turn back to their childhood like interests and everyone's been super excited kind of exploring those different activities again, you know, like coloring, coloring books, adult coloring books. I have so many things, paint kits. I don't know. It's 
it's been nice to have that time, I think, because I don't know if we would normally have it otherwise without the pandemic. Yeah, totally. I completely agree. And it's been so fun and special. And it's also hard to get back into sometimes. It's like, it always feels like there's better ways to spend your time. But I think Mm. as people who are creatives, fostering your inner child is the lifeline of the work that you do day to day. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And there's a little bit for me, at least I'm like, oh, I'm not going to be good at this. But it's like, I never really cared when I was little if I was good at it. I was just kind of like doing it to like have fun. And so that's something that I also like to keep in mind as well when I'm like, oh, I can't draw. Like everyone else that's drawing is like amazing. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. no, I don't even have to think about that. Totally. But anyway, enough about inner child stuff because I like I love talking about love and dating. I like think it's so fun. I don't know. I as someone that's like, you know, had a dating journey and then now I'm married, it's just like a fun thing to look, for me at least to like look back on to see like how I got to the place that I am at today in terms of like relationships and dating and not even just in a romantic sense, but also just like interpersonal relationships in general. Like I find sisterhood and my female relationships to be so, 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 so powerful. And like, honestly, the most meaningful relationships in my life are with women. I grew up being raised by like all, you know, my female like aunties and my mom was a single mom. And so I don't only want to focus on romantic, intimate love in that way. But I also want to talk about like just interpersonal love. And I know that on your podcast, it's not just about like, you know, finding a partner. It's also about loving yourself and loving your community. And so like, what do you feel like is the greatest lesson that you've learned from kind of diving into this topic of love? Oh my gosh, so much. And I feel like in every segment of that, we've brought on subject matter experts on different parts. And so I feel like there's been different transformational wisdoms or nuggets of wisdom that have just changed the way that I view people and the way that I live. And I would say like romantically, something that I was reminded of during one of our episodes that transformed me is that we often attract what we need healing from And that we finding love isn't the hard part. It's for a lot of us, it's finding the walls that prevent us from receiving love and learning and being brave enough to tear those down. And so that one was like huge for me as someone who has a super avoidant attachment style or had a really avoidant attachment style. And I would say I had a lot of, well, not a lot of trauma, but I experienced sexual trauma in college. And that caused me to have more of an anxious avoidant attachment style. And I think Mm -hmm. like, as I grew older, one of my protective measures was just to be avoidant, not like not loving and all that. And so that has been a huge unlearning for me. And it's not even just romantically. Like I found that in friendships too. It's there's a certain level of intimacy. I would allow people to get close to me that I would push them away. And so that has been a huge thing that I've been working on the last however many years, like four years. And then I would say as far as community goes, I think being a community builder is one of the most brave things that anybody will ever do because you are, when you step into leadership, there's a quote that I remember somebody saying once and I felt like it was, it rang so much truth. It's like, if you ever want to know what your own flaws are, is step into leadership. And it's so true because <laughs> yeah, I know I'm shaking my head. I'm like, yes, no one can see me shaking my head, but I agree. Yeah. If you ever want to see your own flaws, step into leadership. And the reason that is, is because unless you're a psychopath and have no emotions, um, it brings up a lot. It really showcases like how you show up and lead in moments when people disagree, in moments where people outside of your group are challenging you or there's haters out there, whatever, you know, like the more successful you are, the more susceptible you are to some of that. And so I think that is something that is, 
I just like have so much respect for the community builders that we have here in Austin. And it's something that I haven't stepped fully into. And I think a part of that is there's a lot of fear around needing to be perfect or a lot of fear around the backlash that could potentially come from that. I love supporting community builders, but me being at the front lines is still kind of terrifying to me. And then as far as friendships, so I'm actually really excited about this episode that we're releasing. It's with a friendship expert and something that she had shared that I was just like, was one of my questions was like, how do we make new friends in the wake of the pandemic? And she was like, honestly, the answer to most people's lives, like most people is it's not that you need to meet more people to have deeper friendships. It's that you need to foster the current ones that you have. And I think that's so true. I think even with dating and with just like life, like we think that having more options is better, but in Mm. reality, specifically with friendships, there's probably a number of people that if you reached out and was consistent and obviously there needs to be reciprocation, but that there's a pocket of friends that you could become best friends with. And I believe she said there was like, I can't remember exactly, but it's either 200 hours or 500 hours spent time together before somebody considers you their best friend. And that was really interesting to me because it makes a lot of sense. So it's like really taking the effort and time to being consistent and investing is where deep friendships come from. And that we're not really at a point where we need more friends, but we're at a, I think most people are at a point where they just need deeper friendships and to really be seen and be vulnerable. And something that she had also shared was that there's like different levels of friendship and how when you first meet somebody, they're at a, I would say like a sh- more shallower end of friendship. And there's certain things that are safe and good to share. But then as you build trust, then you can reveal more of yourself more safely. And it's kind of like approaching the 200 to 500 hour mark. And that's like how you can kind of see if this person is able to be trustworthy to like be able to go. Yeah. Like to like give yourself, I guess, fully as like a friend. Right. Exactly. And being able, and even like around conflict resolutions with friendships, there was, she just really pressed on that most conflict and most friendships. She was like, knowing that it takes 200 to 500 hours to build a best friendship. She was like, imagine if you could just have the hard conversation so that you can continue building on it. Because oftentimes when you have that hard conversation, your friendship comes out way stronger rather Mm -hmm. than being like, nope, she screwed up. I'm over it. Goodbye. Or like being like, nope, sorry. We will never get back to that level a friendship and it's like there's certain levels of betrayal of trust like obviously there's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a threshold but she was saying like with most things she was like imagine if you could just have like one four hour conversation and then continue building on that relationship rather than having to start from scratch with somebody else and she really just reiterated that most friendships can be saved and if you put in the effort and both people are willing to put in that work that mm-hmm. it's totally possible but most people don't do it because friendships feel a lot more dispendable than like romantic yes. relationships. Like, I, I'm, I don't know if she says anything about this when, in your interview, but I was thinking about that the whole time you were talking. I was like, you know, it's really crazy because I think it is interesting how like we look at romantic relationships as like kind of like end all be all like you got to like make this work. Like if we're going to have a conflict, you know, we're going to like, have a conversation. We're going to resolve it. We're going to try, we're going to try to like save our marriage. I don't know, save, save your marriage as an example, or like you have a boyfriend and you're like, we're going to have so many conversations about this, like before we like actually would break up. But then if, when it comes to friends, it's like a completely different ball game, right? You like treat it so differently. And obviously I think as you get older, right. Friendships change a lot over time I think depending on how you grew up. So like for me, I changed schools a lot. Like I, I went to a lot of different schools. So it was a lot harder for me to have those types of friendships where like, Oh, you know, we've been um, friends since like I was, we were five or like, 
10 or whatever. I think my longest friendship, like close friendship has been since I was 14 or 15. So like, I just, I have never had that because I was moving around a lot, but like a lot of times people become friends because of proximity, right? Like you guys went to the same school, you were neighbors. And then like, as you get older and you grow up, like you change. Like, I think that's just, that's normal, right? You like grow up, you have different experiences. Maybe you leave that town, you go to college and that sort of thing. And then like the friendship just kind of like dissipates and like no one ever really has a conversation, but maybe that was like an impactful friendship to you. Mm-hmm. And like, you never talk about it ever again. It's like, yeah. it's just so different how, how like those types of relationships play out over years, you know? Totally. And I think there's, I personally, you know, a lot of that I shared was from her perspective and her opinion and just like some research that she had done. But I think personally, so I went, I basically grew up in the same city and had a different experience, but then I moved away from college for college and then moved back to Texas. And what was so fascinating to me was there was just like a different level of depth of like friendship and loyalty that my friends had growing up compared to the people I went to college with. Like Mm. I realized that a lot of people that I went to college with just didn't have the best experiences with people that they had gone to school with. There was a lot of like backstabbing and like trauma and me and my friends growing up, like we just don't have that. And there's a different part of me that they speak to opposed to like a lot of the friends that I have now in Austin. It's just like, Mm -hmm. I think everyone I know in Austin is slightly more bent towards like personal development, community building, entrepreneurship, all that. And my friends growing up are not like that at all. Like one's a teacher, three of them are nurses. Like they're very on that. Like, would you say traditional path? Yes, exactly. Whereas like, I'm like the opposite and just all over the place. And I think there's, I think like what Esther Perel has actually said about like needing a tribe and what has been detrimental to marriages and relationships or like romantic relationships is that we have these expectations now around our partner being everything to us. Whereas like historically we used to be a part of a greater tribe, a village community, like depending on what culture you come from, where a lot of different people play different roles in your life and kind of fulfilled like different parts of you. And I think that has been what has been so hard for me during this quarantine and pandemic is I normally have that. I have this group of friends that I like go to to fill like my designer nerdy side of me. And then there's another side of me that is like super entrepreneurial and like a big dreamer that I have other people that I can like really go hard in the paint with. And then other friends that are hardcore foodies that I get to go and like nerd out about these different areas. And so I think that's something too with friendship is to give ourselves that permission. And also what has been so impactful for me is being intentional and writing out. Like, I think you do this maybe once a year, every other year, write out a list of people that you really want to be intentional with that year and realize that it's not about like, you don't have to reach out every single week or like, it doesn't have to be exhausting, but being intentional on specific days or sending like a handwritten note just because or like little things like that go so far in putting deposits into your friendship bank account, like is a way that you can think about it. Mm-hmm. And it's those types of things that people remember. And I think like releasing expectation on what you can receive also, but just like from a genuine place of like, I care about this person and I want them in my life and I want to deposit in our friendship bank account and just like doing little things like that. I think is kind of the key for me at least right now to stay connected in the midst of all of this. Mm. Oh, I like a friendship bank account. And it's <laughs> like, I think it's just like a good metaphor to, to like show that you're invested in your friendships, you know, not that it's like a transactional thing at all, but like, I feel like friendships, you have to be just as intentional with your friendships as you are with a romantic relationship. Like your friends have feelings too, <laughs> you know, and like they want to be, like cared about and looked, you know, be checked in on. And I don't know. I, I like, I love where this conversation is going because 
I think over the past year, I've seen like so many different like things happen with friendships, right? Like people have made a lot of friends on the internet because that's the only way that they can make friends right now. And they somehow find, you know, ways to connect and like get together online. And then I think also I've seen like a lot of friendship breakups over the past year, just as much, you know, that maybe you might see with like relationship breakups, I feel like has been pretty (laughs) prevalent on, um, you know, just like in the world right now. But I think it's because 2020 with everyone having so much more time to like look inward, you get to see a lot of like, what are you trying to make space for in your life? And like, maybe what do you need to let go of at this time? And I think that going into your friendships, being intentional is so important because I think they can be often overlooked, right? I think you can take friendship for granted sometimes. And I don't know, it's just like an interesting thing. Like for me, like friendship has always been so, so, so important to me in my life because I like honestly don't know where I would be without some of my best friends and like my friends that I've had for years, right? And And for me, some of the best friendships that I have are like the ones where like, we're not talking every day, but like, I know that if I called you being like, yo, I have an emergency or like, please talk to me, they would pick up the phone and like, help me out. Totally. Yeah. Those are super special. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's just, I think we could all work on conflict resolution like if you're going to be best friends with somebody or like live with your best friend or all that, like you are bound to have conflict at some point. Like it is just human nature. Like for you to never have a conflict with your best friend would be crazy. And it's like the only way I think you can get around that is if you don't interact super often. Like, yeah, I don't, I really, (laughs) but if you interact like super regularly and all that, like you're bound to have some tiffs here or there or disagreements or maybe not see eye to eye. And so I think that's something to just like be mindful of as just like practice building in a practice of healthy conflict resolution. And I think something that actually really transformed my friendships just as much as it did my romantic relationships is understanding attachment styles and being able to recognize them and seeing like real time, how certain behaviors will trigger deeper childhood wounds that will like cause it in outlash or a certain reaction Mm -hmm. and that it's so much less about you or maybe that specific instance and so much more about like a specific trigger that's been happening. Mm. That's like a huge thing to take into account. Like a lot of the times I've seen at least with friendship and in friendships need to diverge. Sometimes it's like so healthy. I think too, is like building boundaries and recognizing that, sometimes like people when they cross certain boundaries and they're unable to uphold them or whatever, that it's okay to let certain ones go. But I think a lot of the times it can be resolved and talked out. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's talk about attachment styles for a second, because right when you said that I actually, attachment styles have really come up a lot in my conversations with my friends, like in group chats, like we've all been like, Oh yeah. Do you like know what your attachment style is? Like, Oh, like I'm being, I don't know, my avoidant attachment style is coming out or whatever, whatever. But can you explain a little bit about like what attachment styles are? Totally. So it is based on a research study that was done like many, many years ago. And essentially your attachment style was formed when you're an infant. And the theory is that however your parents responded to your cries and your needs is kind of like how you developed your attachment style. So for instance, babies that were left alone and like left to cry it out, they had to learn how to self-soothe. And I think a lot of nineties babies like that generation, I remember that being a thing. They're like, just let the baby cry out and ignore them. Well, what that created was more avoidant, attachment styles, which meant that they didn't, they knew that they had to self-soothe and that they couldn't like depend. It didn't feel like they could depend on their caretaker in moments of cries or needs. Then there's people that 
have parents that came every once in a while. So sometimes they would come and sometimes they wouldn't. And that would cause a more anxious attachment style because they Mm -hmm. weren't really sure if the parent would show up or not. And it would cause anxiety. And then there is secure, which are the ones that had parents that would show up and like consistently and was very dependable. And so the child had no doubt that like, if I had a need, my parent would show up and I would be okay. And then people who are anxious avoidant tend to be people who have experienced trauma. And I think they say that this equates for like 2% of the population is what the attached book says, but that is somebody that exudes qualities of both. And so the way that this shows up when you're an adult is if you have an avoidant attachment style, it's more the people that are terrified of intimacy. They really, really uh, value independence. And that's like probably like a high value of theirs. It's hard to like let people close. They often desire space and their partners are often saying like, I just want to be closer to you. And like, same with like friends, like there's like Mm. that feeling. And then anxious people are what traditionally people have considered like needy. Like they'll say that they are some of the examples would be like, they're very like dramatic about certain things or like they become like a little bit more explosive when fights happen. There's a lot of like doubt of does this person like me or does do they not? Are they going to stay or they're not? There's a lot of like the, the back and forth and mm-hmm. anxiousness around if their partner will stay or not. And I think there's like a lot of rejection triggers in that. Okay. And then secure is someone who is totally comfortable with intimacy. They understand that it is super valuable to be your own full human, but they're also totally comfortable with interdependence. And I would say like anxious attachment style people are tend to be a little bit more codependent. I think that's another way of phrasing that. Like they just desire to be as close as possible. Like they feel like they could not get closer to people and they like always crave that. And anxious avoidant are people that exude both of those qualities. And what is the mind trip about all this is typically avoidance find anxious people and they like end up being pairs. And so you could like very quickly see how that can be extremely triggering. And a lot of that is because we attract what we need healing from. And so there's like this theory that's like Imago. This is another theory around Imago, but that we oftentimes like whatever we experience in the first seven years when we're building our consciousness that we try to fix that and to like, we keep rerunning these scripts until we can heal from it. And so, well, I'm mind blown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A lot of the times so that is what often happens is someone that's more anxious tends to match with someone that's more avoidant, but people that are secure also can match with people that are, are anxious or avoidant. And so that's very much a thing, but the, crazy part of all this is, is there this in the study, they say that most people on the market that are single are tend to be avoidance and avoidance and avoidance can never date. Like it just doesn't work out. Like they can like start to date, but it doesn't work out because they're unwilling to like talk or resolve. They're both avoiding the shit out of each other. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they're like not wanting to talk at all. They're like, yes. see you later, see you later. And then they're just not even yeah. dating. They're like, oh, I'm done, bye. Um, whereas, yeah, secure people obviously are the ones that have more healthy tendencies. But yeah, that's like the general overview of attachment styles. Oh man. Okay. So with attachment style, so obviously we've talked a little bit about how it affects friendships because I do think that it can be tricked. Like if your, you know, trigger comes out in a friendship, it's fairly similar to you being triggered in a romantic relationship also. But like, what do you do with this knowledge once you know what your attachment style is? And I already know low key love intently has a attachment style quiz on their website. So I will drop that in the show notes, but like, what do we do with this information now? So what is amazing about learning your attachment styles is one of those things, like once you learn it, you can't unlearn it and you can't unsee it. And so 
ultimately, based on this theory, what it goes back down to, this is so obvious, is it goes back down to communication and practicing secure communication. Like anyone that is avoidant or anyone that is anxious or anxious avoidant can become secure if they actively practice. And so this can show up in friendships, like for instance, in moments that you can start to catch yourself becoming more anxious or even after the fact, say like three days later, you're like, damn, I showed up hell anxious and I like had this strong reaction because this was triggered and you can go back and say like, hey, I'm like in that moment, you can go back and choose to have a conversation around that instance with whoever that happened with and show up more secure and talk it out. Same with being avoidant. If you can recognize like, oh, I'm being super avoidant right now, you don't have to address it right there in the moment if you don't have it in you. But when you are back at a more stable state out of the flight or flight moments, you have a choice to go back and have a conversation around it. And really it goes back to it being a practice. So like practically for me, I was single when I discovered the attachment styles and I identified that I was highly avoidant. Like I talked about this on in a deeper level on the attachment style podcast episode that I released, but the reason it even came, like the universe like smacked me in the face with it because I was reading this book on my way to one of my really good friends weddings. And instantly when I walked in, there was a guy that was like, very attractive. And I could tell, you know, when you can just like sense there's like mutual interest. There's like a vibe. (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely a vibe. And anyways, we were hardcore vibing the whole night, but I was losing it. And at the same time, I had just listened to this book, like on the way and identified that I was really (laughs) avoidant. So it was like playing out real time. Like I was interested, but I just wanted to pull away. And like, I don't know, it was like a whole thing nothing ever happened of that, but I could recognize is like, this guy is clearly interested, but you're terrified. And all you want to do is run away. And like, mm. you're giving out strong mixed signals and all of this stuff. And I was like, we've got to work on this. And so that next year I challenged myself to go on 12 dates. I think ideally it was like 12 first dates. And it was extremely hard for me because I had never done that before. I'd never done online dating before that point. And my intention in every single one of those dates is to show up fully as myself, even if I was uninterested, even if it was kind of awkward and to be really honest about how I was feeling about everything. And so that like really kicked it all in high gear, especially practicing with strangers and not wanting to like hurt them and like all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, practically in my romantic relationship. And even in friendships, I'll share like this quick story of like why I for sure know I'm an avoidant is that one time me and my partner got in a, like, it was just like one of those moments where it was like a really intense, quick fight. And it was like over something really dumb. And we both knew it was dumb, but I was like, become really, I had become really upset. And I used to do this thing where I would like pack everything up and just like dip out. And okay. And I started, or I would like threaten to, or start to, and he'd be like, you need to chill out and we need to talk about this. So there's this one moment where I had started to do that. And he was like, just outside on his patio. And I was about to just like dip without even saying goodbye. And I like walked back and forth between the garage and where he was at like three or four times. I was like, okay, in this moment, am I going to choose to be avoidant or am I going to choose to be secure and have a conversation? And then finally, also, I was like, okay, fine. I will at least go and say goodbye. And then we talked it out. But I was like, in that instance, is because I could recognize those being avoidant, I was able to choose differently. Mm-hmm. So that is an instance of like how you can use this information to really transform how you show up. It's just like first I'm be aware. So fucking avoidant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like laughing because. When, when you said that thing about like, okay, I used to do this thing where I would like pack up my bags and just be like, I'm leaving. Like, or maybe not even stay in the room. Bye. <laughs> just yep. gotta go. Yep. Um, I, it's like giving me flashbacks to like all these different moments of where I've done something in that similar way, right? And you're just like doing the same shit over and over and over again, like hitting a wall until 
you either like learn a new behavior or you can catch yourself in one of those moments and be like, okay, I've been doing the same shit like all the time, which is like, I just get up and leave. I'm uncomfortable and I got to go. I just, I'm done. Uh, I don't want to talk about it either. So see ya. And it's like, obviously until you change what you're doing or, you know, or like your strategy, things are probably going to play out exactly how they've been playing out, you know, exactly. there has to be a catalyst, whether it comes from yourself or maybe you find a partner that like, or a friend even that's like, Hey, you're doing that thing that you do when you're avoiding me. And I'm like, er, what that, those are like really the only times that you can kind of change the patterns and the behaviors, right? It's like, it has to be some sort of catalyst. Maybe you can make it come from you. Like in that moment for you, Sophie, where you're like, okay, which way am I going with this right now? Like, am I going to go to the patio or am I going to go to the garage and just dip out and never talk about it again? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's been something that I've been working on a shit ton over the past couple of years. Because when, you know, Yurian and I have had like an argument, it, I'll be like, <sighs> like my like inner child triggers just go like absolutely crazy. And I'm like, I have to go sit in a room by myself. Like, I want to leave the house. I want to leave the room. Like, I want to go like hide under like a blanket or something like that. And you just have to learn how to, I had to learn me specifically. I had to learn how to sit and have a conversation without feeling like, you know, with like recognizing that I was just being triggered and that it was okay. And that we can continue to have a conversation. Yeah. That has been super helpful for me. Like, to sit and be like, you're yeah. fine. Everything's totally. fine. You're okay. Like no one's like leaving. Cause you know, I have like, I have trauma from my childhood that will come up. It's like, no one's leaving you. You're just having a conversation. It's all good. Like yeah. you can do this. Yeah. That's amazing. And I don't know about you, but I feel like so much of the way we learn about conflict resolution is like through parental figures and like mm-hmm. how they manage it. And I know for me, it was like my parents just swept stuff under the rug and never talked about it. It was like, we'd have these massive explosive fights and then it would just be fine the next day. And it's like, it was always so frustrating. And so because of that, I was never taught like how to have a healthy conversation around certain topics and it never seemed okay. And so being in a romantic partnership or even in like healthy friendships, especially when one person is avoidant and one person is anxious, it's terrifying. It's like, mm-hmm. it feels like the end of the world. It feels it like totally does. I get like super hot and like very yes. jittery and I'm like, Oh my God, we're going to have a fight. And like, even with friendships, I'm like, Oh my God, they're mad at me. Like I'm freaking out. I, I don't even want to talk about it, but I know we have to. And I would just like to avoid the situation at all costs. It's like, honestly, how I feel a lot of the time. All right. All birds. Y'all, I have to tell you about them because not only do they make the world's most comfortable shoes using natural materials, they care about their community. And that is so refreshing. Recently, they asked me to join their global community of changemakers called the All Good Collective, and I'm so proud to be a part of it. I am part of this group with a couple of other people you might recognize, like Leah Thomas, who's the founder of Intersectional Environmentalist, Lisa, who's the founder of the sustainable fashion brand Mian Studios, and so many other amazing people that are doing really awesome things in their communities. Part of Albert's focus this year has been to empower their own members by elevating our voices, our work, and our stories. They really are on a mission to do things right. And if you'd like to check out the work of the other All Good Collective members, visit Community allbirds.com for upcoming events online and in real life. You can also follow them on social media at allbirds, but I'm going to give you a chance to seriously try out a pair of allbirds with our monthly giveaway. So make sure you stick around until the end of the episode to find out how you can win a pair of allbirds and see for yourself how freaking amazing they are and know that I'm truly genuinely a fan. All right, back to the episode. How do you like approach having a healthy like conflict resolution or like a healthy conversation about conflict? Cause I know yeah. you said we weren't taught that, but like, 
I actually don't know how I would describe having a healthy (laughs) conflict resolution. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the biggest thing when it comes to conflict resolution is oftentimes we try to dive straight into solutions without ever hearing people or feeling heard. And so practicing active listening. But I think even before that, something that Tracy Rubel, one of my podcast guests shared that I was like, ooh, that is a huge nugget is around somatics. And for people that don't know what somatics is, is it's literally like the study of the body and how emotions show up in it. And so what is fascinating is that your body can recognize that you are being triggered 20 times faster than your brain. Like it shows up tangibly in your body faster. So like by the time you can logically think I am angry or I am triggered, you have already been there for a while. And so it's actually Mm. when it's in your brain, you're already at the flight or flight moment. And it is extremely difficult to reach a point of resolve with any conflict when both one or both parties are at that point where you are like, I either want to fight or flight or even potentially freeze. With that being said, you can, if you practice it, like practice noticing sensations in your body, which feels so out there and potentially Mm -hmm. because we're in such a rational, logical society where it's so heady. Like we think about it's so much less about feelings and the way things feel tangible in your body, but like how data and also, you know, like just rational, logical thinking. Well, our bodies, like what you described is like you get really hot or whatever. If you can start to pick up on that and you're like, oh, I'm actually starting to get triggered right now. In that moment, it's like a sneeze. So it almost feels like, oh, I can feel a sneeze coming up and I can choose to like, put my hand over my nose and not get it everywhere or whatever. Mm. So that's the same with being triggered is if you start to practice and identify where in your body you feel certain sensations when you're getting triggered, then you can like take a few steps back. And so what she calls it is our zone of tolerance. And essentially we have a certain zone of tolerance that we can grow to be larger over time But once we get out of that zone of tolerance, it takes 20 minutes minimum to get back into that zone where you're able to have like actual healthy conflict resolution. And so what she recommends is if you recognize that you're already beyond a triggered state, if you can help it take like a time, quick time out and say like, Hey, I really just like need to go sit with my emotions for a little bit and like sort this out. Can we come back and have a conversation about this in a bit? And whoever says that needs to also be the person that re-engages the conversation, but that's like a healthy way. And I would say for me, at least breath work or like, just like taking deep breaths and like noticing what's happening in my body rather than, um, running through the conflict over and over in my head again, that just causes that reaction back in your body, taking deep breaths and taking note of sensations in your body. So like an example of that is he just said that, what's an example? He just said something like super mean to me. And I've like, it, it makes me feel unwanted rather than replaying that scenario over and over in your head again and re-triggering it in your body. I can take a step back and just take deep breaths and like notice how do my hands feel? And when I take deep breaths, like where do I feel hot? Where do I feel cold? Different sensations. And that will bring your back body back down to homeostasis and kind of like more of a neutral state. And then from there, you can have more healthy conversations around whatever is happening. And then beyond that, another practice that is so powerful is the Imago Safe Conversations method. It's where you mirror each other. So for instance, you're really upset at your husband because he didn't do the dishes, whatever. And you're like, Hey, I need to talk to you about something. Like, are you available right now? And he can either say yes or no. And if he says no, then you can say, okay, like when would be a better time? And then you talk about that. And then if he says yes, then you say, okay. So I felt really disregarded and uncared for when the dishes were left undone. And I was under the expectation that you were going to do them. And then he can mirror back and say, 
Okay. So what I'm hearing is that you're really upset that I didn't do the dishes because you were under the expectation that I was going to, and you felt unfair for it. Did I hear that correctly? And you can either say yes or no. And then he says, is there more? And then he, if there is more, you say whatever else. And if not, then you move on. And then he says, how else have you felt this? Or does this remind you of anything that's happened in your childhood? Or basically asking like a question of what did this remind you of? Or did this remind you of anything? And a lot of the times with the bigger conflicts, there's like a point in childhood that you can point to that was like, oh, actually this reminded me of this time when my mom said that she was going to take me somewhere and she just didn't. And I, she would do this to me all the time. And then he would repeat that back to you and say like, oh, so whenever I do this, it reminds you of this instance that happened when you were a kid. Is that correct? Did I get that correct? And then you could say yes or no and like correct him. And then he asks, is there more? And then you share that. And then at the end, he says, what can I do better next time? And then you offer a solution that he could do better. So it was like, if you say you're going to do the dishes, please do them. Or if you can't get to them, just let me know and have a conversation about it rather than just leaving them. And then he repeats that back to you and says like, is that correct? And what is awesome about using something like this framework is both parties leave feeling heard. And it feels like there is a tangible way to move past the, whatever you're working through. Yeah. Like you can leave with an actual like closing solution to the issue at hand. Right. And I didn't do that perfect. So I'll definitely send over a YouTube video of them doing their method, but yeah, exactly. It's like being able to mirror and really hear each other, I think is a huge part of where conflicts go wrong. It's like oftentimes it's like misunderstanding and people aren't really hearing each other. And so using something like that as a tool, I think can be really transformational. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, sometimes it's just about, it's also about like digging a little bit deeper because sometimes it's not like, oh, I'm mad because like, you know, the dishes aren't done. Cause that seems, you know, there's usually more hiding on the surface. Like, totally. I'm mad the dishes aren't done because I'm super fucking stressed out about X, Y, Z thing. And it's another thing that I have to do that I wanted you to do to get off my plate for me. You know, like there's different versions of that where it's like, you forgot to, I don't know, pick up the dry cleaning and like now my day is all thrown. You know, there's like other things happening beneath the surface of like, you left your dirty shit on the floor. Like, you know what I mean? (laughs) And you're right. It's about like listening, really listening to the other person and like figuring out like, okay, what is it that they're actually trying to tell me if there's something else that they're trying to say? And like, what can we do together better moving forward so that both people feel respected and listened to in this moment? And obviously it's a practice, right? You're not going to be like, hold on one second. Like, let me get, let me like get my, what is it? Amaga method. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let me get like my, my note cards on the Amaga method. And then like, you know, do that. It's all about like practicing and, and listening and conflict resolution is fucking hard. It's scary. As I said earlier, and you said too, like, I don't really like having conflict at all, but it's something that comes up obviously all the time. We have to do it in order to like keep our relationships stronger and better every you know like we want our relationships to grow just like we want ourselves to be able to grow and learn and thrive and mm-hmm. you have you treat relationships the same way but I know that all of it is really hard because it's sometimes you don't even know why you might feel a certain type of way about something that somebody does right mm-hmm. I think that's always hard too you're like that just pissed me off and I have no idea what like why I feel this way and taking those that extra time either to step back or just to like have space to breathe and think about it is always, I feel like a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Like having space and the reality is, is like with conflict, it's going to happen. And so we can either choose to become really good at resolving it or stay where we are. And it's a practice. It's like, just like anything you would do professionally, like whether you're a designer or 
an event producer, whatever, those are skills that you grow over time. And so if you want to be good at conflict resolution and not have it be terrifying, then practice it. And we get so many opportunities every day, whether it's the small things or the big things. I think the biggest thing too is like just be willing to do your own work and like look at your own shit. That's like the biggest thing. As long as two people are willing to do their own work and grow, then I think any couple or any conflicts can be resolved, but it's a choice to do that. Mm, That's a good point. I love that. Well, Sophie, is there anything that you want to share with the community? Anything that you have going on, like announcements or anything like that? Well, I am looking to release an attachment style course, actually, in this year. And I'm just really wanting to dive deep with people. One thing that I found when I discovered the attachment styles is similar to what you're saying is like having a community of people where you can talk through what's happening real time has been so deeply transformational for me. And I recognize that not everyone has a safe space and not everyone has people that have the same terminology. And so wanting to dive deep with people in a similar process that I went through and also something that I'm becoming aggressively or more passionate about is empowering more women to experience financial freedom and generational wealth to like build towards that. So I'm really starting to learn a lot about wealth management, wealth building, all of that, and how that applies to our attachment styles. Like I have recognized there's so much correlation between the two. And so I'm looking to loop some of that into the course as well. It's like working through money mindset stuff. Oh, that's awesome. I would love to see how my attachment style (laughs) is related to my finances. That's really cool. I can't wait. And please keep me, like whenever you launch this, like let me know and I'll update the links in the show notes so that people can find it like once it's out and stuff like that. And then obviously... I'll share a lot of the resources that you mentioned in this today in the show notes. And then obviously the last question is who are some women of color that are inspiring you right now? So Sonia Renee Taylor has been so her book, the body is on apology has been so transformational. I absolutely love her work. Um, Brianna Jenkins, she's an awesome local and a dear friend, and I just adore her. I fucking love Brie. Did you know? I don't know if I told you this. I just interviewed her. Oh, you didn't tell me that, but that's no. Awesome. And we've been we've been texting all week about One Tree Hill. Anyway, that's a side. Uh, I'm also <laughs> obsessed with One Tree Hill. I have all the seasons. It's so funny. Oh my gosh. Like on DVD. Oh my god, I love it. It's like we have like a little One Tree Hill club. Guess we're all gonna yeah. have to get together at some point and watch some of the episodes. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> and the last one I can think of is Amanda Wynn, who has done so much policy work around domestic violence and sexual assault and rape. Like, there's you would be appalled at the policies that existed before, and now she's just made it way more accessible and easy for people to collect evidence and all of that of when stuff like oh, that happens. that's amazing. I actually think I know who you're talking about maybe, but I feel like I'm someone that always needs like a visual. But again, like I'll I'll look up uh Amanda's Instagram and obviously Breeze and then the book that you mentioned is the wait, what is it called? The body is not an apology. Not an apology. Okay, cool. Love it. And I'll then link to that too. the course actually has a a landing page or like a wait list right now. And it's at loveintently.com backslash course. So yeah. Or if you take the attachment style quiz and like enter your information, you will also be notified when that does happen. Oh my gosh, there's a landing page. Okay, great. I'm going to link that so everyone can like get on the wait list and that way they can be notified. I already have like five friends in mind that I'm like, yo, I'm sending this to you. But thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you and your time. I can't wait. I'm going to, I want to retake the attachment style quiz because I took it a long time ago, but obviously I feel like things change over time depending on like the situation. Right. So like I took it once when I was single and like now I'm married. So I kind of want to see where it is at now. Yes. It totally evolves because you're an ever evolving human. 
So beautiful. I love it. Well, thank you again, Sophie. I'm super excited about this episode. I know people are going to like eat this up. Everyone loves attachment styles, but I hope you have a great rest of your day. Yeah, you too. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I think, and I'm assuming that y'all have some really awesome takeaways and can learn how to practice conflict resolution more frequently. If you want to see some of those links and those resources that Sophie mentioned, just check out the show notes. I've linked everything there for you so that you can always look it up later. And of course, like I said, the giveaway. So every single month we host a monthly giveaway and all you have to do is leave a review for the podcast on iTunes and hopefully it's going to be a five star. I hope you love this. I hope you learned a ton from Sophie today and the winner will be contacted at the end of the month. That's pretty much it. So whenever you're listening to this, if you're listening to this before Valentine's Day and Valentine's Day, I hope you have a great day. Don't forget to tell your best friends how much you love them and appreciate them. Tell your partner the same, tell your parents, tell all the people in your life how much you love them and how much you appreciate them. We're getting to the end of the season. So if you have any suggestions for topics that you want me to cover next season, DM me at Involved Company on Instagram, or feel free to shoot me an email if you're already part of our newsletter community. It's called Women of Color Weekly. I will link that also in the show notes if you want to join, but hit me up. Let me know what y'all want to listen to. All right. Talk soon. Talk soon.